Well, as you can see from this uh, beautiful display, and I want to thank uh, Sherry and Vicki Reed for uh, putting this together, we have these wonderful, beautiful pieces of art that we call pottery. And today we're going to be uh, looking at that text from Jeremiah chapter 18 that I think will speak profoundly to your heart. Um, I also tried to think of a, um, uh, a video clip that we could show about, uh, you know, the potter and the clay. The only one I, th- I could think of was that scene from The Ghost back in the 1980s. And when I reviewed it in my office, I couldn't shut the button off fast enough. Uh, okay, this is not appropriate for Sunday morning. And so we're not going to see that. Uh, uh, and, and there I've gone and put it in your head, so I'm sorry about that as well. But we are going to talk about this uh, incredible imagery that God gives us through the prophet Jeremiah. This metaphor that uh, speaks profoundly really to our lives. And I want you to I want to begin by reading the first four verses of Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, This is the word of God for Hope Covenant Church. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel. And it seemed good to the potter to do. When you look at a scripture, you recognize how much God loves analogies and metaphors. How often he wants to point to something that is common and ordinary, that we understand that we have a relationship that will help us understand a truth from God about our cosmos, about his creation, about our relationship with God and about our relationship with each other. And so uh, that's what he does. He uses these beautiful metaphors. If he were to appear today uh, on this modern scene, he would probably point over to the Chandler Mall and he would say something like this. Now, I know there's beautiful things there. And I know you enjoy going to there and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I want you to know something. I want you to know when you go to that place of beauty and stuff and possessions and bling and all of these things that um, you can't find lasting peace there. You can find things to wear and you can find things to do, but you will not find satisfaction there. Or he might point to a fitness center. And I work out over here at the Mountainside Fitness Center. And you can tell from my svelte, sleek body that I probably don't work out quite enough. Uh, but uh, I go there and I work out three times a week. And I think if God would say, you know what, this is a good place to be because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to take good care of it. But you look around and you see all these treadmills and you see the ellipticals and you see the bicycles and people going really fast, but not really going anywhere. And they're doing all that. And, and I think the Lord would say something like this. You know what? I'm glad that you're taking care of your body. That's a good thing. But but this ideal that you have to be this perfect physical specimen to be accepted and loved in our society. That's not right. Or God might take us to a a big bank, you know, whether it's a a Chase Bank or or take us to uh, Wall Street or take us to Knox, you know, uh, Fort Knox or something like that. And say, you know, all these things are good. Money is good. It's a commodity that you need to change goods and services. Nothing wrong with money at all. But if you're pursuing this and if you think that this somehow is going to make you happy and somehow going to make you satisfied in your life, it's not there. Or God might take us outside and say, you know, I want you to know something about me and about how I created you and how I created the universe. 
I want you to look at a sunset on after a monsoon storm in July and look at the beautiful colors and the, the power of that. I want you to look at a brand new baby. I want you to look at a tree. I want you to look at the river or the ocean. And I want you to recognize that all of this I've created for you. All of this I have made for you. So God always wants us to understand through the beauty of things and nature around us about our relationship with God and with each other. And so in the 7th century B.C., God invites Jeremiah to, he says he directs him to the potter's house. Go down to the potter's house. I want you to go there and I want you to recognize that uh, there's something going on here that speaks to you and to me about our relationship with each other. So I went to the potter's house, Jeremiah writes, and there he was working at the wheel. The potter was an important businessman in his day. Uh, he provided a product and he provided beauty that was essential to everyday life. And so Jeremiah watches this potter at work. He is working at a wheel that has a formless mass of clay on it. He turns the wheel and with skilled hands, he shapes the clay. A little pressure here, a little more there, and the vessel begins to take shape and, and then it becomes something both useful and beautiful. I mean, pottery is really significant. I went on, uh, I went online to discuss, see when pottery was kind of discovered, the best we know how, it uh, kind of appeared in China the first time about 20,000 years ago, long time ago. And since then, uh, it's been something that's been, initially it was very practical. The first 5,000 years, almost all of the pottery um, artifacts that have been found in different tells and different archaeological sites have been very plain. But then about 5,000 years after that, or about 15,000 years ago, the pottery started taking shape and every piece that was found, whether it was American Indian or somewhere in Asia uh, or somewhere in Africa, every bit, a piece that was found was like a work of art. It was beautiful. It was useful, of course. I mean, could we do without Tupperware? I know I couldn't. And Pyrex, Pampered Chef, or those amazingly green things that we call styrofoam cups. I mean, how could we live without our, our containers today? But the containers that Jeremiah is referring to is this beautiful pottery. A pottery that is useful, that shows beauty, that has combinations of shapes and curves and design that's painted and glazed and fired and well, it's both functional and beautiful. So I asked Sherry and Vicki to put together a little display here and be sure and come up after the service and take a look at some of these pieces. Now, Sherry knows the history to each one. I don't. I just know that this one here holds a lot of cereal. OK, so I know that. And um, but these some of these say this is from Vicky and and, you know, you say it's a beautiful, maybe it's a Ming. No, it's uh, made in Etro in Mexico. But anyway, so you have all these beautiful pieces. Uh, this piece here we use every communion Sunday. Somebody gave us this, right? And it's a beautiful piece. Uh, we used, uh, Brandon used this last week in pouring the, the juice. Uh, Sherry and I have the set of these. We got these up in Prescott, a set of four of these that come with plates. And, and they're all just beautiful and functional. And we got this uh, fish in Oregon. Uh, to remind me on an anniversary, to remind me that I'm a good fisherman with the times that I'm believing I'm not because I'm not catching anything. All of these things are both beautiful and functional. Now, this is the part of the service where we become interactive, right? And some of you guys are going, oh, no, not again. Yes, yes, again. So I want you to look at your neighbor or someone near to you and say, you are beautiful and you are useful. Okay, let's do that together. 
You are beautiful and you are useful. Okay. Oh, and I know that's embarrassing. You know, come on. That's all right. You are beautiful and you are useful. Let me tell you how beautiful you are. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2. But you, and he's talking to the church of Jesus Christ, so we can put your name in there. You, Hope Covenant Church, are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, there's the useful part. You are called, called to declare his praises. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are both beautiful and you are useful. Each and every one of you. Sherry and I have a, um, uh, a niece. Uh, actually, she's a great niece. My, my sister's granddaughter. And her name, and I've told you about Devin before. Devin now is how is she? 14 years old, honey? Devin is 14 years old. She has severe Down syndrome. She has the mental age of a two-year-old. But she is one of the most beautiful, delightful children of God you have ever, ever seen in your life. She is remarkable. Not only, I mean, physically she has the look of a Down's child, but when you look into her eyes, you see the beauty of Jesus. And when you see her usefulness, are you kidding? None of us would be the same without her. She has been such a powerful influence in our family. She is both beautiful and she is useful. We were at a uh, restaurant a couple of years ago at Christmas with my sister just visiting. And Devin was there. And uh, uh, Devin said something about uh, she. Uh, we were talking about Jesus. And she said that she loved Jesus. And I said, oh, honey, I know you do. I know you love Jesus very much. She said, let's sing about that. And so at the top of her lungs, Jesus loves me. And she sang it. And of course, what did we do? Well, we joined right in. And we and so in the middle of Coco's restaurant in San Diego, we're singing Jesus loves me at the top of our lungs. And you know what? Not one person in there minded because they looked at her and they saw the beauty of this child. She is both beautiful and she is precious. She is, she is just a precious child of God. I love that about how the God creates beautiful things. Now, on a different story, and you know how much I love cats, so I want to uh, tell you about cats. Uh, there was this uh, art connoisseur, and the art connoisseur was walking down the street, and he, he passed by this delicatessen. And out in front of the delicatessen, there was this little piece of pottery, and it had milk in it, and there was this mangy soggy little cat, just kind of dirty and mangy, obviously a, a, a street cat. And, and it was there just kind of lapping up the, the milk. And so this art connoisseur recognized that piece of pottery as something precious, old, and very worth a lot of money. And so he recognized that, and then he kind of built a concocted a plan in his mind. Okay, what am I going to do to figure out how to get this piece of pottery? So he came up with an idea. He goes into the store and asks the store owner. The store owner says, uh, he introduces himself, and he said, you know, I noticed outside you have that little mangy cat, kind of grubby and scrunchy and all of that. And I am willing, because I'm kind of a, a cat lover, I am willing to pay you $2 for that cat. And the guy says, absolutely not. He says, really? I mean, 
come on, that's kind of a creepy little cat. And, and I'm eccentric and I like cats and I'm willing to. How about this? I'll pay you $10 for that cat. The guy says, OK, we'll do it. $10. So he takes the $10, put it in his pocket. And then the art connoisseur said kind of casually, he said, well, now that I have the cat, I suppose you wouldn't mind me also letting me take the little uh, milk uh, pottery bowl that he had, because I know he's very attached to it and he would enjoy that. And the, and the uh, delicatessen owner said, absolutely not. You cannot have that, that pottery. And the guy's thinking, oh, does he know? He says, no, you can't have that. He said, because I use that pottery. It's my lucky pottery, I call it. He says, because with that piece of pottery, I've gotten rid of 34 cats in the last two weeks. It's beautiful and useful. Anything you can use to get rid of cats, I think, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Did you know that God created you? <laughs> the cat lovers, Carol's gone. Uh, if, if, did you know that God created you to be both beautiful and useful? There is no human being that is not useful to God and no human being that is not useful. You know, healthy people. And when I talk about healthy people, I'm talking about healthy people spiritually and emotionally. When, when you look at a healthy person who loves the Lord and is, has literally put themselves in the potter's hands all of their lives, they've been molded. And you look, see that person and you see the beauty of Jesus in them. You see the peace and the joy in them. I don't think there's a more contented person in the world than one who can look in the mirror and see the way that Jesus sees them, sees themselves through Jesus' eyes. When we recognize our beauty, it may not be perfect physical beauty like the world has come to believe, but when we recognize the beauty of God's creation, his handiwork, how that he has made us both beautiful and useful, we say, thank you, Heavenly Father, thank you. All this came clear to Jeremiah in the potter's house. The brute fact of the clay, that simple lump of clay, lumpish and unable to do anything on its own. And then, as it took shape, formed by the potter, yield to the pressure of the potter's hands, the uniqueness and the beauty comes alive. But Jeremiah notes that something is terribly wrong. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. Chapter 18, verse 4. Jeremiah knew about spoiled vessels and he knew about the analogy. He knew about what God was trying to tell them, that all of these children of Israel had had all of these chances to live beautiful, godly lives. And instead they chased the scarecrow. They chased the foreign image. They chased the golden idol. When Jeremiah looked at this and he recognized the impurities as the potter was making this and he knew that something had to change, that that pot had to be reshaped, reformed, recast. Jeremiah continues to observe. What would the potter do now? Would he get mad at the clay? I don't think so. I mean, would he kick the, the wheel over and just go and sulk somewhere? No. Throw the clay at the cat? Quite possibly. Just laugh it off and say, well, that darn clay has a mind of its own. Isn't that quaint and cute? No, 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 and no. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Sometimes when you finish with this 
beautiful work. There's a flaw in it. There's a crack in it. There's something that's just wrong. Now, here's the hard part for us as as jars of clay, right? You and I. The only way for a potter to reshape that is to crush it first. I mean, you can't take a, a pot, a pot that has been annealed, that has been kilned and cooked and baked. And you can't just say, OK, I'm going to start over. If you want to use that same clay, you literally have to crush it to dust, add water and start all over again. Jeremiah is reminding us, be very careful, be very careful when you harden your heart to God. When you make yourself steeled against God and his purpose for your life, be very careful. He reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. And so he takes this clay once again and he pulls it and he yanks it and he jerks it and he forms it into something that is beautiful and useful. Now, the theology of this scripture passage can be stated very simply this way. God can do whatever he wants to with you. God can do whatever he wants to with you. He doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need to explain himself. He doesn't need to defend his actions. God can do whatever he wants with you. Let me tell you why. Two reasons. Number one, he created you. And number two, he redeemed you. You belong to him twice. He created you and he redeemed you. That's what it means for him to be God and not us. In his hands rests all the rule, the power, the control, the authority, the kingdom, the government, dominion. In other words, he is in ultimate control and you and I are not. This is what the Bible calls the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Now, some people don't like this doctrine of the sovereignty of God. They don't like it because they want to be in control. Other people tremble at it for fear that God is simply going to squash them and turn them into dust. And some simply oppose it because, you know what, I'm going to behave as if I have control, even if I don't. Jeremiah says, says, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's one of the great stories uh, in the Bible. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you've heard this story before. Um, It's in the book of Job. And in the first couple of chapters of the book of Job, it kind of outlines the problem. And uh, Job loses everything. There's a test about Job's faith. And uh, Job loses loses everything. His his wealth, uh, his position in life. Uh, his vast holdings, his family, many of his family members. Uh, Job loses everything. And so Job is sitting there. And this is where the uh, uh, Jeremiah text fits into uh, Job. He's sitting there with sores all over his body. And he takes a piece of, are you ready? If you have a squeamish stomach, you know, close your eyes and earmuff. Okay. He takes a piece of broken pottery and he scrapes the sores on his body. It is so painful. And it is so, so that's Job. He's sitting there like that. And then, In fact, in such a state in chapter two that uh, Job's wife said, Job, why don't you just die? I mean, why don't you just tell God, forget it and die? Just say, I don't believe in you anymore. You know, I'm going to curse you, God, and die. And Job said, no, I can't do that. And and starting at chapter three, this is amazing. From chapter three to chapter 37, we have these 35 chapters of of Job speaking and talking uh, to his wife a little bit, but mostly talking to his three buddies. 
And they're discussing about, they're talking about the sovereignty of God. And they're trying to figure it out. And they're trying to figure out God, and even though we know he's mysterious, but we've got to figure out God because this doesn't seem fair. Uh, Job's a good man. Uh, he deserves better. Uh, he shouldn't be going through this. It's not right. And there's these three friends are arguing. And so for 35 chapters, they're talking. And then in chapter 38, if you look at the title in your Bible, on the beginning of 38, you know, there's a new heading there. And it says, God Speaks. For 35 chapters, Job's been yakking it up with his buddies, you know, trying to figure out God and everything. And God speaks. And then it says, out of the sky came the voice of God that was like thunder. And Job said, or God said, Job, wait just a minute. I've been listening, you know, yawning for 35 chapters, listening to you guys talk about what you should figure out about God and how God should act in the world so that you're comfortable, so that you have good stuff, so that you're wealthy and you have good health and all that. I've been trying to figure out, you've been trying to figure out God. Let me tell you something. Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? And, and Job kind of goes, whoa, kind of puts him back on his heels. Now remember, God's not just saying this, he's thundering this. Job, have you given orders to the morning lately? Because I have. Job, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea lately? Well, I have. Job, do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Because I see that every time it happens. Job, will you correct me? And so, in this short chapter, you can just feel Job just shrinking, <laughs> shrinking, shrinking under the power of God's thundering word. And finally, Job says, okay, okay, I get it. God, I have no right to ask you why you do what you do with me. I am simply clay in a potter's hands. Uh, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Isaiah 45, 9, he says, no. I just confess that I know that my Redeemer lives. He says that in Job. I know that my Redeemer lives and I know that I have no right of any kind to tell you how you should make me. Jeremiah's message is about judgment. The picture of the pot in the potter's hand is not meant to be comforting. It's meant to be disturbing. Bill Cosby, uh, the great theologian and comedian one time said in one of his shticks, and you've heard this to one of his kids he said I brought you into this world how did he finish that I can take you out of this world he learned that from God to warn Israel that they do not call the shots to warn America that we do not call the shots to warn every believer in this room that we do not call the shots God says, I am God, I am the potter, and you are the clay. And yet the Israelites continue to follow the gods of the Assyrians. And yet the Israelites continue to embrace the scarecrow and somehow believe that the scarecrow is going to come to life and make them live. And Jeremiah is disgusted and hurt. And he says to them in verses 7 to 10, these words, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, 
torn down and destroyed. And if that nation I warned, God is speaking here. And if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it disaster I had planned. God said, all you have to do is tell me that you're willing to repent. And then he goes on. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I have intended to do for it. Jeremiah says, be very careful. You're on God's very last nerve. So we do this all the time. God tells us, here's how I want you to live. And I I don't want you to I don't want you to live this way so you won't have fun. I want you to live this way so you will have fun. The Ten Commandments is not about us not doing stuff. The Ten Commandments is about us living lives of fullness and greatness. And so we come along and we say to God, whether it's me or you or the nation of the United States or 7th century B.C. Israel, we say to God, No, 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 and no. I'm going to do it my way, my way, my way, and I'm going to do it my way. And God, in a very powerful, strong words here, he says, please don't do that. But if you do this, here's what I'm going to say. Okay, have it your way. There will be a time when God will say to a nation or to an individual, okay, have it your way. You said no to me enough times, I'm going to finally let you have your wish. The answer is no. As it was to Israel, this is a warning for any nation, for any people in the world, not just the United States. According to Jeremiah, the only way to escape such disaster is to turn away from sin. The only way to get God to relent is for whether it's the United States or Israelites 7th seventh, seventh, uh, century B.C. to repent of their hatred and violence, their wastefulness and sloth, their racism and injustice, their selfishness, their materialism and their sexual immoral, immorality. According to the word of God, a sinful ma- nation must either repent or perish. Someone was talking to me after the service today. What have happened to all the great nations in our history? Every one of them have, re, have dis, just disappeared. God says, be very careful. America, be very careful. Any nation, be very careful. Any individual, you're on my last nerve. God gave them the same message to Jerusalem in the days of Jeremiah. After setting forth his general principles for ruling the nations, he applied them to his own people. He said, look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. You've said no to me over and over. Would you please say yes one time? Just one time, it's all it's going to take for me to embrace you again. It's all it's going to take for me to draw you to my bosom again. It's all it's going to take for me to forgive you and to give you a new chance. Just say it. Just do it. Repent and turn back to me. The people of God are clay in the hands of an angry potter. But Israel rejects the prophet's message because they have forgotten God. It's kind of a national amnesia. It's very similar to what we're going through after 230 some years of being a nation. National amnesia. I have simply forgotten God. I'm going to do it my way. Despite of all the facts, I'm going to do it my way. Listen to verse 15. Yet my people have forgotten me, 
They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways and in the ancient paths. Remember, the ancient paths were God's word and God's ways. They made them walk in bypaths and on roads not built up. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make my own path, despite everything I've seen. I mean, the Israelites had to have an amnesia. I mean, think about it. They said, God, we've been under the domination of the Egyptians for hundreds of years. What are we going to do? And Moses comes along and says, we're going to set you free. And so they're cheering and they're rejoicing. And they come to the Red Sea and say, oh, no, the Red Sea. What are we going to do now? Let's go back to Egypt and have some more leeks and onions. No, God said, no, no, you keep going forward. And so he divided the Red Sea and they crossed the Red Sea. And they say, yay, God, and it's wonderful. But now a few days later, we're thirsty. We don't have any fresh water. So God provides fresh water out of a rock. And they say, oh, that's good. But then 10 minutes later, they forget and say, God, we're hungry. And so he gives them manna. He says, we're hungry for meat. And he gives them quail. And he's over and over and over. Every time God does an act of grace and power and mercy, they forget it 10 minutes later. Is that any different than you and me? Every time does God does something great in my life, I forget it 10 minutes later. And I want something even greater. Have we forgotten God? Psalm 103, 13 and 14, God says, I will always give you a chance for mercy if you'll just turn back to me. Ask the potter for mercy. Beg God to forgive your sins. Trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, believing he died on the cross for you. Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And that word fear means to be in awe of God. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. God knows that we are cracked and broken vessels. God knows that we are weak. But if we turn our hearts to him, he will always give us a second chance. We have a a person in our church, a man who is a wonderful guy, but he's had a very sordid past, very difficult, ugly past, as he's told me some of his story and And sometimes he's just a new believer in the last couple of months and he's learning how to love God and and letting God love him. That's the harder challenge for him is letting God love him. And and he's always trying to define himself by his past. Oh, yeah, but I, I did that. I say, I know, but God's grace is bigger. Yeah, but you don't know what these things that I did over here. I know, but the blood of Jesus is stronger. Oh, but pastor, you don't know how terrible things I did to people. I know, but God gives you a second chance. And This man is constantly kind of trying to define himself by his past instead of looking in the mirror and seeing himself through the eyes of Jesus. Blood washed, white as snow, looking himself through the blood of Jesus. Yes, we need to remember our past to make sure that we don't go that way again. But do not let your past be the rearview mirror. Don't let it be the windshield. We have too many of that. We have too much of that going on. You let the windshield be the future and letting God see you and bless you and make you beautiful and useful. You are clay in the potter's hands and he wants to make you into something great. Don't ever forget that God wants to give you that second chance. But please, brothers and sisters in Christ, and for those of you that maybe have never given your hearts to Christ, do not continue to say no to God over and over and over again.
When you and I yield control, we become useful and beautiful. This is one of Jeremiah's most powerful sermons. And I just want to close by sharing some things with you that will bless you. When God is the potter and we are the clay, let me give you some implications, three implications for that. The first thing is this. God is the potter. We are the clay. God created us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that beautiful? That's about baby Jack, you know. Before I knew you, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. The word formed is a Hebrew word, yatsar, and it's the same word that we find in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam and Eve. He said, the way I formed you is simply by breathing life into you. I formed you. There's a, the psalm that I read you earlier during our prayer time was the first half of Psalm 139. And the second half describes this beautiful dance of redemption between God and you. This beautiful, uh, integrated, formed relationship that God has with you as his creation. Listen to what it says. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of my mother's womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. I want to read that again. Listen to me. You saw me before I was born. The psalmist writes, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. God created you and he redeemed you. But there's something else when we get a hold of this idea that God is the potter and we are the clay. And it's this, that God continues to shape us. He is shaping us, formed by God. Every disappointment, every disease, every discouragement, every desperate act, God says, I will use to form you and make you into the person that I desire you to be. We live in a broken world. We live in the small kingdom. We've talked about that. This is the kingdom of man. We ascend to the, we accede to the kingdom of God, but right now we live in the kingdom of man. It is small and it is broken and these things happen, but God says, I promise you, I will take every one of those discouraging times, every one of those, those diseases, and I will take them and I'll make something good out of them for your benefit and for my benefit. You are both beautiful and you are useful even when you're cracked. God says, I will use you. He says, I'm much more, I much care much more about your character than I do about your comfort. He is shaping you right now. And then there's one last thing. And this is so beautiful. He is shining through us. He is shining through us. We are the containers of God. The Bible says that Jesus lives in us by his spirit. The light of Jesus shines from us and through us. We are the children of God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are treasures in clay, in jars of clay. There's a beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's in your sermon notes. 
And I want to read that passage to you. And I want you to hear this and hear this clearly, because this is God's word for you as we close this morning. We now have this light shining in your heart, in our hearts. But we are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Yes, we are cracked and we are broken. But through those cracks and that brokenness shines the light of Jesus. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Ryan led us into some really old, beautiful hymns this morning. And we're going to sing one more after the sermon. But I want to give you the words of a hymn that I grew up with many years ago. And I want you to listen to these words. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. Would you bow your heads with me? Our prayer today, Father, is that you would have your way with us. We are so resistant. We become so hardened as clay. We are so desirous to form ourselves and to shape ourselves in the image that the world has told us we should be. And, and yet we rest in your hands. And we literally drop, let our heart rate fall and our arms go loose and we say, Lord Jesus, have your own way with me. That's my prayer for myself today. And that's my prayer for each of you today. That you would simply allow the potter to shape you, to form you into something that is absolutely beautiful and something so useful for the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, for your great desire to make us into objects of your devotion, of your desire, and to use us to further the kingdom of God. We thank you, Father, that we matter to you that much. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.